0: Big picture-wise, there's a there's a push and a pull between discipline and creativity. So head down, hard work and discipline, but also you have to pick your head up and look around and find other ways to improve or solutions that, that may not be right in front of you.
1: That was Kurt Spencer. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative, Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. It's March. Spring is so close, but still too far. We are 12 weeks out from my first triathlon race for the season, Ironman 70.3 Connecticut. And my fitness level on training peaks is 36 it needs to be at at least 80 by June 2nd, whatever that means. This course in Southbury, Connecticut is my favorite, even though it's over 4,000 feet of climbing on the bike and a freezing cold lake swim. I've been doing it for five years as an Olympic distance local race, and I'm really excited and slightly nervous that it might take eight plus hours based on the fact that I haven't been training for the past few months with good reason. This is episode 55 of the podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy. Scroll through the list of Marnie on the Move podcasts on your app. Click on rate or review. Share what you like about the podcast, your favorite episodes, what inspires you. Also tell your friends to listen. Post it on your social platforms and tag Marnie on the move. Spread the love. Back to triathlon. One of my favorite topics. There's nothing like setting a big goal, a huge challenge, something that jolts you out of your day-to-day, takes you out of your comfort zone, whether it be physical or mental. A race, a business, a personal achievement, and then making that happen. That's exactly what today's guest did. In 2010, Former Stanford University swim team co-captains, all-American swimmers and friends, Rob Canales and Kurt Spencer, decided it would be a great idea to do an Ironman 70.3 in Austin as a fun way to reconnect and get back in shape after nearly a decade had gone by from their days of competitive swimming in the pool. We all know how that goes, usually. This race was the launching point for how the world's fastest wetsuit was created and marked the beginning of the game-changing athletic performance brand, Roka. On today's episode, Roka co-founder Kurt Spencer shares the story of how his first triathlon experience and the challenges on the course led to the innovation and design of the brand's globally renowned wetsuits and launch of Roka. We sync up about how the initial prototype was created in co-founder Rob Canali's Garage, the story behind how their first pro triathlete and his winning results put the wetsuit on the radar, how they have grown well beyond that initial wetsuit to offer award-winning performance sunglasses, a new collection of prescription eyewear, goggles, and gear, all with paradigm-shifting design, excellent style and functionality propelling the brand to the forefront of sports performance across many categories like running, cycling, triathlon, speed skating, beach volleyball, and off-road endurance events. Of course, we talk about the sports and workouts that are currently fueling Kurt for success. And he shares some great swim tips and advice from his swimming days. Since the brand's inception, ROCA athletes have won over a dozen world titles and have been instrumental in the design and development of an unprecedented collection of patented and award winning products. In 2016, ROCA was proud to send 18 athletes to the Rio Olympics, taking home gold and bronze. In Pyeongchang, ROCA continued the tradition, taking home Olympic gold and bronze in their advanced performance eyewear. Roka's mission is to unlock human potential, to equip, empower, inspire, and ignite. Roka serves those who seek to redefine the standard, to push themselves to the limit, whatever and wherever that may be. So for my listeners looking to push themselves to the limit, sign up for some kind of challenge, whether it's a triathlon or run, an off-road adventure, I highly recommend Roka. And they are offering you 20% off. With the exception of their optical collection, use the code MARNI, M-A-R-N-I, on their website at roka.com. I am a huge fan. I have two of their Maverick Elite wetsuits, and I love them. I use one on race day, and I use one for my practice swim the day before. In addition, they have a new pop-up in Austin, so if you live nearby, head over there and experience Roca in person. Follow Roca on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and follow Marnie on the Move on social, too. Handles are simple, at Roca and at Marnie on the Move. Now, on to the episode. Tell me a little bit about Roca.
0: Roca started definitely on accident. Myself and Rob Canales, our co-founder and CEO at Roka, we had swam together in college at the time at a fairly elite level, but had been out of school for a long time and definitely out of shape and overworked. And Rob was just getting out of law school. And he called me up to challenge me to do a half Ironman with him in Austin at the time. So Roka really grew out of this obsession with triathlon and gear and product design and specifically around wetsuits at the time.
1: Take me back to like where it began and when you started and how you started.
0: So Rob and I, we are definitely competitive guys, especially competitive with each other. We came from a really, really incredible team environment where we were expected to push each other and get the best out of each other. That definitely carried over into our personal lives. And so when he threw down the challenge to do a half Ironman, hadn't done anything that distance and certainly, you know, had done... Olympic distance triathlon, kind of like once a year, every couple of years, just to just to get out and challenge myself a little bit, but nothing at that distance. I think we had something like five or six weeks to really get in shape to do this thing. And we, you know, bought a decent amount of expensive gear that was way too good for the level of uh, fitness that we had at the time, mostly driven by our desire to compete with each other. And I went down to Austin and jumped in the water in a wetsuit for the first time in Barton Springs there, which is a really, really cool kind of opening.
1: It's freezing though. (laughs) Yeah, I was definitely glad to have a wetsuit on at
0: the time. To be honest, I had really neglected training for the swim heading into that half, just knowing that I was not an elite cyclist and certainly not an elite runner, but had been at one time an elite swimmer. So sort of left that as the last box to check. But as soon as we swam for just a few minutes in that wetsuit, we knew we were in a bit of trouble because we just got really, really stiff shoulders. Our stroke felt different, did not feel like swimming in the pool in the way that we had remembered in our early 20s. So we just kind of... Figured we'll get through this tomorrow, but immediately we started asking each other questions like, you know, why isn't the wetsuit designed this way? Why can't we panel it this way? Why isn't it helping my mechanics rather than hindering my mechanics? And filed that away. Went through the race. Rob had a great race. Had, I would call it a successful race from what you wanted to accomplish. I had a great time, but a, a really, really challenging race. And I think I walked nine miles of the half marathon with cramps and really, really bad nutrition and just bad decisions during the race. So learned a lesson and got bitten by the bug, you know, wanted right. to get back out there and prove myself that I could go do it. So in that process, after the race, we just kept going back to the wetsuit. I had studied product design at Stanford with Rob's wife and a uh, really, really incredible product design group within the School of Engineering there. And Kate, Rob's wife, had gone on to be lead design creative director at some really, really great design firms. So Rob was super well-versed in that language and school of thought that we had come up in. So it turned into this garage hobby project. We both lived in these little craftsman houses, uh, these little bungalows, he, them in Austin and me in Los Angeles, we had these little garages behind our houses. And they just turned into these little innovation gyms and sewing platforms and places that we were cutting up neoprene and playing with ideas and sketches just kind of late at night and on the weekends while we tried to stay in shape and tried to continue down the path of enjoying the sport of triathlon and that you know the journey that it is.
1: How many triathlons have you done so far?
0: I would say dozens, not hundreds, but a a good amount. I mean, I really caught the bug for a while and was pretty consistently trying to race as often as possible. I just really enjoyed being out there with that community and with that tribe. And the awesome thing about triathlon is that if you're tired of running or you get injured, you can focus on the bike or – you know, focus on getting in the pool or if the weather is mm-hmm. really great, if you want to be upside swimming, you can do that. So I really just enjoyed that the community and sort of the mindset within the sport during that time. We were also, I had just started a content and design firm in Los Angeles and was working really, really hard with a group of partners out here. And so I think just endurance training and having something as a, as an outlet was really important during that time for me personally. You know, we really took the opportunity to. Redesign the wetsuit as a real human factors and, and product design exercise and just dove in full force. We said, look, let's not make any assumptions here. What if we started from zero, from the inside out? What do we really need and what do we not need here?
1: But when was that?
0: I want to say we probably started fooling around like 2010, 2011. It was truly a garage Hobby project. We were just designing this thing for us, and we really took nothing for granted. We looked at all the materials out there. We looked at a lot of different designs from different sports, from swimming, from the super suit era, all the different wetsuits that were out there on the market, and from other sports, all the tech that was happening, and just and really just looked at what can we do to not necessarily eliminate just uh, impediments in wetsuit design and in swimming freestyle the right way, but what can we do to enhance the mechanics and the performance and the speed of fast freestyle swimming in a wetsuit. And so, you know, we looked at body position and drag and core optimization. We swallowed these pills that NASA had developed to measure body core temperature and had done controlled repeat sets of 400s and 800s in different wetsuits and thicknesses. It was a really, really cool sort of self-experimentation and product design deep dive for a year plus. Ultimately, we came away with with a product that was objectively and demonstrably better. And we were really excited about it. We were swimming way faster in this wetsuit than we did in, in any of the leading competitor wetsuits and, and knew we had something cool for us. So that was really the start of it. And we didn't have a name. We didn't have a brand or sort of big ambitions when we started. It was really just trying to design something through a process that we really enjoyed.
1: What was the moment for you where you realized, wow, this is going to be huge and this is a brand?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So... Jesse Thomas is a great friend and awesome athlete, great ambassador, great dude. He had been in the school of engineering at Stanford also. He was a runner. And so Rob and I knew that he would give us some really interesting feedback coming from the complete opposite background that we came from. And so we got connected to Jesse through one of our friends and sent him a suit. He tested it out. He had some feedback On it, we made a couple tweaks so that the suit wasn't just designed for guys that came from a swimming background, but also for people who came from the opposite side, from running or cycling or weren't sort of elite on the swim side of things when they began their triathlon adventure. So Jesse called us up one day and said, hey, man, this suit is definitely faster. I've been doing repeat 100s, like blind tested with my coach timing me. I'm up to three seconds per hundred faster in this suit than some of the other suits. Wow. I want to wear it. I want to compete in it. What can we do? That's what we were hoping for. We we really wanted an athlete who it really mattered to, to get behind the wetsuit and the design. And Jesse was awesome early days for us. And so at that point, Rob, he was working his ass off as a lawyer, long, long hours every week. And started thinking, could this be a business rather than a product? And is it worth taking the entrepreneurial leap to start a company? And ultimately we decided that we definitely wanted to do that. We wanted to take that challenge on. We felt like there was an opportunity to design better products and really look at, look at the athletes. The athlete's point of view, the athlete's experience, the user journey, all those human factors first and leverage the process that we had applied to that wetsuit to get to the outcome that we had, you know, across other products. And we thought that was a really big opportunity out in the market. And with the rise of sort of the you know, e-commerce and direct-to-consumer brands, we wanted to deliver world-class premium products at a price point that was really, really fair and as transparent as we possibly could be with the consumer. So, you know, delivering the fastest stuff, the best stuff.
1: And that's Ruka's philosophy behind all the products you
0: design. Yeah, usually as far as what we decide to take on from a product design perspective, you know, we try to look at a real human challenge or a real athletic challenge. And what can we bring to the table that is going to give the athlete some sort of new opportunity, new advantage, new take, new confidence in their ability to perform. And so, you know, once we do that, Sometimes you design yourself into a place that it doesn't make sense from a business perspective or it's extremely expensive. You have to look at the market and figure Mm -hmm. out what people are willing to, willing to pay for those performance gains. But yeah, ultimately, if we're going to bring something to market, we try to find that place where we're delivering the best products on the planet or some sort of innovation that really is changing the game in that category and then deliver it at, you know, the best price that we possibly can.
1: Did you give the wetsuits out or sell them to just everyday triathletes or was your strategy more about getting it on elite and professional athletes?
0: Yeah, this it happened really organically in the beginning. So once Jesse started wearing the suit and we sort of created the brand, word got out amongst the pros Mm -hmm. and through some of the coaches. Jesse was being coached by Matt Dixon at the time. And Matt was also coaching Meredith Kessler and knew the suit was really fast. And Meredith was considering a change wetsuit. So she also tried the suit out, had very similar results to Jesse. And we had a few other swimmers that just threw through the grapevine, had heard that we had a suit that was demonstrably better and faster and special. And that for those guys, it, that makes all the difference in the world. If you make a front pack or miss a front pack out of the swim, it can really, really change, literally change your earnings for the year, right? So yeah, we had a lot of interest that we did not expect right away in getting their hands on the suit early. So what did you do? Yeah, so we borrowed money from a friend to buy some inventory. And during that time, Meredith had gone down to Ironman New Zealand and had absolutely crushed the swim. I may get the facts from here, but I think she like set a new course record, might have even beaten all the men out of the water, and had beaten one of the women in the race by like four minutes who she had lost to in the previous race by a couple minutes. And the only major difference on the day was the suit. So we were like, OK, there's a real story here. We can point to real results. Let's launch a website and go ahead and put the inventory up. So from the studio here in LA and Rob from from his office in Austin, we put the website up put a small video announcement out and just waited, hoping that word of mouth would give us a little bit of a platform. And I, I think we we sold out within the first two weeks on that initial inventory that we bought. Mm-hmm. So we knew that there was demand there and there was buzz around the suit and the brand. That gave us a lot more confidence to really lean into what we thought we could do and where we thought we could take the brand and, and other product opportunities.
1: And that was right around when you started?
0: Yeah. So that was 2013, like mm-hmm. spring of 2013. And Rob was still a lawyer at the time and I was working full time also as a, a partner of a content and design firm in Los Angeles.
1: And so when did you launch the eyewear and the apparel?
0: Yeah. So again, just organic progression from the wetsuit. A lot of the pro athletes and some of the like elite amateur athletes were really interested in what we could bring to some of the other products. So tri-race apparel, Swim skins for warm water races where a wetsuit wasn't legal. And while we were designing those products, we also came up with what we call the Sim Short, which is a neoprene buoyancy short that's meant to put you in the body position that you're in in a wetsuit and give you that feeling and those mechanics while you're training in the pool. Because, you know, we couldn't. It's not really practical to train in a wetsuit all the time, but, right. you know, your body position is different. The the way that you swim is a little different. So that buoyancy short was a really great training tool to simulate race day for that.
1: These buoyancy shorts are truly game changers for athletes training. Can you expand on why they are so important
0: Ultimately, our wetsuit, there were a few different things about the wetsuit that were real, what we considered real breakthroughs at the time. And a lot of it had to do with buoyancy and stretch and support and compression and connectivity throughout the body. And so we realized that buoyancy and body position, and how you were swimming, the mechanics of how you were swimming were so, so important. And we wanted to give athletes the opportunity to train that way. It's just it's something I carried over literally from, from my high school swim coach. Who just really, really beat into me that you should train like you race. So if I was going to race in a swim cap, I should wear a swim cap in in practice every day. Uh, there's you know subtle difference in your head position and, and what you feel like in the water and those kind of things and that really worked for me in my swim career. So we wanted to carry that over into into our training products. And that, that buoyancy short really, it is a game changer when you're swimming. Some coaches hate them. They call them cheater pants or cheater shorts.
1: And those would be swim coaches or triathlon coaches? <laughs>
0: it, it depends on the coach. There, there's a place for them in practice. They should not be used as a crutch, but they are a really great training tool. And for anyone who doesn't have a natural feel for the water or a natural body position that they default into, it's really, it really can be a breakthrough product for people who are trying to get to that next level.
1: When did you launch the eyewear? Was that last summer?
0: Yeah. So eyewear and sort of the optical space has probably been one of the most exciting developments we've had at Roke. I mean, we've, we've got some incredible designers and teams working on all kinds of product. But I think eyewear is really, really special for us. We wanted to invent a goggle originally that was focused on sighting for open water and allowed you to see where you were going in that open water environment a lot better and a lot more efficiently. So we kind of started in this optic space with some experimentation on goggles. And during that process, we hired some really incredible teammates who had been at Apple and Oakley and some other consumer electronics brands. And the experience they had on the R&D and engineering side. And with eyewear and optical factories and manufacturing, we just realized we were sitting on this incredible, incredible knowledge. And we felt like the eyewear space was a space where a lot of brands had gotten lazy over the years on innovation and it's mm-hmm. certainly a place where the pricing model was totally out of whack you know and you've seen some brands come in and kind of change the business model Warby Parker comes to mind there are some others but we didn't see anyone really innovating specifically the products they had changed the business model but people had not changed the product it seemed like in decades and so we also when we were looking at that we also realized that Jesse Thomas, our original athlete, represented this really unique use case. Jesse raced for a long time in the sort of gas station classic aviators, and it was like his signature thing because in his first race, he had forgotten his sunglasses and he literally bought a pair of like you know six dollar weird knockoff aviator glasses and ended up winning that race. so he wanted to kind of honor that that grassroots place that he had come from, wore those despite the the loss in performance that he probably got out of wearing right. gas station aviators and, you know, dealing with the, dealing with them getting scratched and fogging up and slipping off his face and being uncomfortable. It was something that was really meaningful to him and gave him a lot of confidence. So we say there's an opportunity to innovate in this performance optics space, but we're going to come at it differently. We're going to try to engineer as much performance into, you know, classic forms that we possibly can, we're gonna to try to beat the performance of like the best sport shields out there in an aviator in some more classical form factors. And again, that was just an awesome, awesome design challenge. Just so much fun to go down that path. We had this awesome design challenge on the wall and it was like classic aviators have to look badass, number one. Number two, they have to perform at a world-class level. What does that mean? They can't fall off my face. They have right. to be ultra lightweight have to have incredible optics they cannot fog they have to be super scratch resistant and, you know, you've got to be able to clean them all these different things that came from us thinking about how do you run a marathon after biking 112 miles in an incredibly hot humid environment still get the performance you need out of a classic aviator form factor so that was probably an 18 month process from sort of first ideation to sort of first prototype and we literally flew the first pair of those what we call the phantom titanium aviators directly from Japan to Lanzarote where Jesse was racing. He got them as he was on his way to check in. So he had never won. He put them on as he walked to the check-in. It was the only time he'd worn him, you know, threw them in his bag and said, well, tomorrow will be the test run of these things. The next day, he was able to chase down Jan Ferdano and ended up winning the race. So just like an incredible milestone for him. And the glasses were sort of part of that part of that race and that, that moment for him. And it was just really, really special for all of us to have built a product that we just loved and knew was differentiated and was innovative and have it make a difference for him on race day when it really mattered.
1: I know lots of athletes that wear Roka sunglasses and they love them. It's also great that you have the option for prescription sunglasses and everyday eyewear.
0: Yeah. So about a year and a half, two years ago, we put on the wall, we said, look, if we're going to get into the optic space, if we're going to get into eyewear, we're going to do it the Roka way. And we're not going to limp in here. We want to be the most innovative, direct-to-consumer eyewear brand on the planet. And for us, that meant we have to make the world's best sport optics. We need to make the world's best prescription optics. We need to make the world's best casual slash performance optics on the planet. And we need to sell them direct to consumer. We need to offer a home try-on program. We need to allow people to customize these things. And so we've been on a really intense ramp over the last two years to get all of that launched. But we've done it. Couldn't be more proud of the team.
1: And you also like opened up the door for Roca to be in so many other sports besides triathlon, because I know that you have athletes that are runners and cyclists. And then I saw motorsports and speed skating. I mean, that's so cool.
0: It's been amazing. It's really been just incredibly fun and inspiring. Ultimately, what we, we say that we are the brand for challenge seekers, for people who aren't afraid of taking on hard things in their lives and looking for growth and triathletes are certainly fit that mold right to me one of the appeals of triathlon is certainly it's it's a little hard it requires it is a great challenge you know it's sort of born out of a challenge and you know what we've seen is that there's a lot of really incredible athletes in other sports that share that mindset and have been really really interested in what the brand's doing we had a young woman from the Netherlands Esme Visser she actually won the gold medal in the 5000 meter speed skating event this past Olympics. And I, I mean, I was jumping up and down in my living room. I could not believe in such a short period of time that we had gone from being in this triathlon space to launching eyewear to there we were helping an athlete win a gold medal in the winter olympics and speed skating and optics so it's really 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 special when you get to see an athlete fulfill a dream like that or you know overcome something or or push through something and you feel like you had a very 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 small part (laughs) you know in that or at least got to go along for the ride rob and i both grew up dreaming of the olympics and and swimming, you know, as a young kid, when you're really taking that sport seriously, that's the ultimate, the pinnacle.
1: You swam in the 2000 Olympic trials and you were a senior in high school, right?
0: In college. Yeah. In college, I, sorry. I
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait, how old are you? Like that was 12 years ago.
0: Yeah, we both swam in Olympic trials in 2000, which is a great experience. Rob was a finalist.
1: So you know what it's like to be an athlete and have that product or wetsuit or a pair of sunglasses or something that just makes such a big difference?
0: Yeah, I, Rob and I both, we go back to some of our best performances as athletes and really one of the biggest factors is, is the confidence that you take to the blocks or into the arena. We take that really seriously in the product. Like We want athletes to put Roca product on and ultimately feel confident in the way they're going to perform and contribute to that feeling in the gear. And, you know, we really hold ourselves to, we talk about redefine the standard is something that we say all the time internally on our product design team. You know, we want to give the athlete an advantage when they step up to compete. We want them to know that we want them to know that we took that seriously and that we went through a process and made sure that if they're wearing Roka, that they know that it, it's going to be the best in the world, that they're going to be able to compete at, at the highest level. We, we want to enable that, that feeling and that mindset.
1: Yeah. As a swimmer, going into the sport of triathlon and like even when we were originally in the beginning of this conversation, you were saying that you kind of didn't think that you had to practice swimming because you had that already. And so you were focusing on your running and your cycling.
0: Terrible idea, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's
1: a totally different sport, especially open water swimming. How did you go from swimming as a swimmer in a pool indoors and competing in a sport that's totally different than triathlon and taking that to open water. Did you feel like there was anything that you could like really take away from the pool that you brought to the open water?
0: Yeah, no, it's an awesome question. So I have a real appreciation for the water and I have a real appreciation for my feel for the water more and more as I get older. It's incredible those, you know, whatever, millions of, (laughs) millions and millions of yards that you put in in the sport of swimming the muscle memory the neurological connection this sort or of proprioception you have it, it doesn't go away and that's really cool but going from the pool to open water it's a different sport it requires some different skills it requires you to approach your stroke and the swim and all kinds of things just very very differently and i don't think I, I did not appreciate that early days i didn't grow up you know competing in open water swimming i was really i was a Mostly at 50 freestyle. So my race lasted like, you know, ideally 19 seconds long.
1: <laughs> Not 40 minutes.
0: Yeah. No, or 16, 17 hours, uh, you know, people that are coming across the finish line at midnight at Kona. Like that is a wildly different thing. So I think there are some principles that definitely cross over and apply no matter where you're swimming for sure. The water is incredibly, it's an incredibly strong force against your body. People are obsessed with aerodynamics, but hydrodynamics are magnitude stronger. So, mm-hmm eliminating drag and form drag and putting your body in a position where you can reduce the forces that you need to move forward through the water is just incredibly important technique and form and your feel for the water I don't want to overemphasize it versus the other sports, but I feel like the water is an alien environment and you've got to put the time in to develop your technique and develop a feel for the water and your body position.
1: It's not a natural place that you are spending all your time. Like, whereas when you're running or on your bike, I mean, you're on the ground, the water is totally different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, buoyancy and the forces on your body and just sort of understanding the levers that you have and how you can move and all that kind of stuff. Is, you've got to sort of figure that out and embrace it and have fun with it. I, I don't know. i, I <laughs> (laughs) Always, I've just always sought out new challenges and new things. I love learning new things and doing things that I suck at. I think we're not on the on the Roka side. I think Rob and I both sort of share a love of gear and bringing diverse things and diverse ideas together to solve problems in an interesting way. I think triathlon was was definitely had that appeal for me. I did triathlons as a kid. My parents took me to some iron kids races when I was real young. Were
1: your parents athletes also?
0: My mom was a dancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was like super ballet and all that stuff. And and my dad did do some triathlons with me and was always active. We were young. He swam in college, was in the Navy, so stayed fit when I was growing up. So
1: you kind of saw that growing up as a kid. And when did you start swimming?
0: Yeah, swimming, supposedly I fell in the pool at 18 months and safely swam over to the, <laughs> to the side and grabbed on or something. So, you know, that's like the, the sort of the legend in my family is that I could just, you know, swim innately. You know, I think earliest memories are 11 years old, you know, starting to compete and getting really, really obsessed with the idea of, you know, dropping time and hitting goals and, and competing. So it, I took swimming seriously from like, you know, the age of seven to eight, nine years old.
1: So you started swimming when you were. Like seven, eight, nine.
0: Yeah, I really loved it. I, I don't know. I just really loved the process of setting a goal and, you know, racing the clock and just sort of like the objective improvement that you can make in swimming was just, it, it was addictive. I felt like always getting better, always trying to build confidence, really, you know, working towards that every day, seeing how far you could set the bar or set the target out and how far you could push to get there. I was just really into it from a really early age.
1: So you were very young. Oh, totally. Yeah. My mom still has this little news clipping from like the
0: local Tennessee paper when I was growing up. They did some small interview. And I said, I have two big goals. I want to swim in the Olympic trials and I want to get a scholarship to Stanford University (laughs) to swim. I mean, I I think I must have been eight years old. So I knew where I wanted to go pretty early. I I don't think there's no way to know how tough those things are when you're that age. but, But yeah, I did swim in the Olympic trials. I did not get a scholarship to Stanford. I walked on. I was recruited, but I walked on forever grateful to my parents for giving me that opportunity and to the coaching staff. But, you know, I got close. I got close to those early goals.
1: You know what? That's awesome. That's amazing. I mean, to be able to say that so young and then to actually see it happen. Were there any other sports that you did or it was like swimming all the time?
0: No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was obsessed with soccer. When I was little, I played, tried to make the the regional travel team and did gymnastics. We went with my My sister was really into gymnastics and dance, and so my brother and I we went along to gymnastics and dance. I was one of the few dudes in ballet class uh, when I was a kid, and but incredibly valuable experiences. I I played water polo in high school. Swimming is so I think being goal obsessed and driven in the sport of swimming, you can definitely over rotate on that. You know, I definitely had peaks and valleys and times that I did not want to be in the pool, and, and my parents gave me the space to do that. I mean, they definitely they wanted me to stay on that track because they saw the the potential that I had and where where it could take me if I stuck to it. But, you know, they definitely were supportive if I wanted to play water polo in the fall or wanted to focus on soccer for a year and those kind of things. And and all those experiences, they just, they add up and and contribute down the road. So.
1: Did having an athletic background and mindset prepare you for building a company?
0: For sure. I mean, Rob and I were were incredibly critical uh, of ourselves and our own performances and products and all those things. I mean, I think Swimming is you and the clock and, you know, there's not a lot, you know, the water is the water. So you can really shake yourself down and break down a race and your performance and all that stuff. So we definitely have that. But I do, I really try to appreciate the team that we have and the, you know, just the incredible athletes that we get to interact with and learn from on a daily basis. It is really, really an incredible, incredible opportunity. So I'm super grateful for it. It I do not take it for granted. But I do, I see a lot of opportunities and mistakes, you know, and things we missed along the way that we need to do better. Roke is still an incredible challenge for us. We have a really, really high bar and, you know, a, a lot of big lofty goals for the company and, and for what we need to do to make it a real success. But, you know, we sort of reset the definition of success often. We definitely stay hungry. And that's, I think that does come from that, you know, athletic swimming background. You can always go a little faster, right? I mean...
1: Yep. You can always do a little better.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was no, I never had a perfect race. That's just the way that I, that I looked at it. I I had great races. I had races I'm really proud of and that elicited incredible feelings and I think represented and honored the work that I'd put in, but could always have done something a little better, (laughs) gone a little faster. So yeah, we definitely carry that over. The team that I work with, anybody will tell you that I am. I'm quick with a with an analogy or you know, a metaphor, and I, I definitely lean on my experience as an athlete and the incredible coaches that I had throughout the years. Again, something that I'm just forever grateful to my parents for. They always tried to put me in, in really great team environments and with great mentors and coaches and just had some really, really incredible life lessons learned from some incredible people there. So uh, I try to share that as much as possible. I think, that you know, that's that's the other thing about the you know the team at Stanford that Rob and I were on. We I think what what made it really special was that we we really did swim for each other and we really tried to make each other better. It didn't matter if you were the slowest guy on the team or you know a world record holder. You could offer advice or try to make the other guy in the lane next to you better at any time in any way. We really try to create a culture and atmosphere around that.
1: And now is there something that a big a lesson that you've learned like in your athletic career that you've taken over to your professional entrepreneur business career?
0: Big picture wise, there's a push and a pull between discipline and creativity. So head down hard work and discipline, but also like you have to pick your head up and look around and find other ways, um, you know, to improve or solutions that, that may not be right in front of you. And so I think I just I found in my swim career there were times when I would literally just run into the wall so many times and it could not work any harder and we had to pick our head up and work smarter or try something different or change our technique to adapt to a new level of training or a new level of strength in order to to recognize that gain. So this is a lesson that I've learned sort of looking back was that ultimately when I found the most success was when I found that balance between creativity, taking a risk, doing something different. and Discipline, sticking to it, continuing through the really, really difficult, challenging times, and not being afraid of you know one bad performance or one bad failure. That's something that I personally really, really try to uh, try to find in, in in business and entrepreneurship, product design, you know storytelling, marketing is that balance between those two things. And balance may be the wrong word. I, I think it's just you know sometimes you have to look in the opposite direction.
1: One hundred percent, you constantly need to evaluate where you are and simultaneously move forward?
0: I was sort of forced into this place. I think my that thought sort of came out at my senior year in college. I got a horrible flu over Christmas training. I mean, the sickest I've ever been in my life. Not only did I miss that really critical part of winter Christmas training, but I also had just, I had lost like 10 pounds and I had struggled so hard. I was totally undersized for the events that I swam thought that I had been so focused on technique to try to compete and I'd worked so hard to put on some muscle throughout college. And I was just devastated thinking that my season was over and I didn't know how I was ever going to get back to where I was. I really had no choice, but to take like a major what I perceived at the time as a risk and change my stroke and my technique and the way that I swam. And I just had to swim really slow and deliberately over the next couple months to sort of adapt to the conditions and and the situation that I was in. And ultimately it led to us. It was the fastest I've ever swam in my life and probably was not the best shape that I'd ever been in. You know, I'd probably been in better shape the three years prior, but just had to come up with a creative, a different way. You know, I couldn't work any harder. I couldn't get stronger in that short amount of time. It was an incredible experience where, you know, I went from having so much fear uh, failure not being able to sort of fulfill, the, you know, my potential that I, you know, worked hard to, to get to, to unlocking new potential. I think that's the other, you realize that sometimes like the biggest risk is not taking one. We ultimately that year that we broke an American record on the freestyle relay that we swam. And I don't think that that would have been within reach, uh, you know, had that not happened to me. So it's the other piece of that is that the, the discipline side of it is the only way out is through. You have to push through. I don't have quit in me, I guess, uh, from from sport yeah. either. So, it's again, it's that balance, you know?
1: Yeah. And now, are you still swimming?
0: I'm swimming now with, with my little boy, my teammate, Axel. He's the, the best little eight-month-old boy, as far as I'm concerned, on the planet. And he loves the water. So, you know, we hit the YMC.
1: That's awesome.
0: That's my favorite time in the pool, for sure. You know, I think just schedule-wise, honestly, like running, lifting weights, trying to put one triathlon or one big challenge on the books a year to keep myself honest and really stay focused and keep that discipline is where I'm at. But the pool, the pool is kind of playtime for me right now in a great way. I love seeing him just explore and see what he can do and just play, just get a feel for the water. It's awesome.
1: That's so much fun. And is your wife also an athlete or is she athletic? Uh,
0: my wife is an incredible skier. Uh, she grew up in Park City, Utah. Oh my God. Yeah. Her, my my sister-in-law was like, you know, NCAA champion downhill skier. My brother-in-law was Ted Ligety, the gold medal US skier. Oh he was best God. man in <laughs> his wedding. I can't ski to save my life. I've made the biggest fool out of myself is, multiple times with their family. So she's a great skier, but she does not have a competitive bone in her body. She is. She is a great great balance for me at home. And just, you know, an incredible, caring, thoughtful, super, super hardworking person, but does not have the athletic competitive fire that I grew up with in, in our household.
1: That's so funny. And so do you guys work together or she does something else? She's in a different industry, right?
0: She does a health and nutrition coaching and she has gotten me through some tough time recently in herself. We met in Los Angeles. She's a camera assistant. She works on a TV show, Modern Family and loves every second of it. That's awesome. She's not doing her health
1: coaching. I'm not a skier, but my partner is a skier. And so they have a pool at the hotel and a gym. <laughs> I'll probably ski like one or two days. I try to get out. Of, that's a comfort zone thing for me because I don't love like heights or being cold. So <laughs> both of those things.
0: Absolutely.
1: I'm on the bunny slope like over and over and over and over like all day. I'm like, oh, I mastered it like five days later. <laughs>
0: Yeah that's uh it me too. I think Axel and the and the kids are going to you know pass me on the bunny slopes here within two seasons.
1: Yeah but totally. It's
0: definitely on my on my list of new challenges down the road uh, is to... Uh,
1: yeah, you're going to have to learn how to ski now.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I have tried. That's uh, It's an ongoing That is an ongoing battle for me.
1: That's so funny. Have you ever done swim run?
0: I've never done swim run. Really, really interested in taking that on sometime soon. Looks really, really cool. Look, looks like a blast.
1: Some of my friends have been doing it. And I interviewed the founder of the swim run that started Otillo. He's one of my podcast guests and it was a great episode, but that's on my bucket list. My friends told me about the water and how choppy it is and how the conditions are so... It's like there's no kayaks every five feet, you know, in the water. So that might be like next level for me. Plus you're tethered to someone.
0: Yeah, we just kind of wrapped up design on our first swim run suit. So definitely, I really enjoyed that process and going through working with the athletes and figuring out what the different challenges were and where we could innovate Uh, that, you know, that again, just awesome process to go through that. Always inspiring to see these guys out just inventing new ways to to suffer.
1: (laughs) exactly. (laughs) What's next for Roka? I mean...
0: We're really focused on putting all the different Eyewear product out out to the market this year. Just has some incredible athletes in lots of lots of new sports. I think you know we're we're really looking forward to you know the cycling season this year. We've got some incredible runners representing Roka out there. We have good people in motorsport and and off road and just some incredible people who really fit that challenge seeker challenge seeker mindset uh, that we're looking for, you know, out there inspiring the product team and looking forward to telling their stories and designing a new product.
1: Well, I'm really excited to try your goggles and also sunglasses. And I think this year might be the year that I actually need to cave and get a prescription. So not for swimming, but for cycling. (laughs) I can't really see anymore. And I'm in denial.
0: No, prescription's a thing. I mean, we're all staring at, you know, screens like two to 12 inches from our face all day long now and it really doing things to our eyes and our brain. And yeah, we've got some really cool products coming out on that front. We've, we definitely, we took a deep dive on the sort of the, the blue blocking front and learned some really interesting things. So I'll, I'll keep you in the loop on that stuff too.
1: I know Gwen Jorgensen was a Roka athlete when she was doing triathlon. Are you still working with her? I know you work with some incredible athletes.
0: Gwen is one of the most incredible athletes I've ever worked with, both at Roka and in in other past lives. I've gotten to work with people who pitched Game 7 of the World Series or everybody from NFL to the NBA. And I've never met an athlete more intense than Gwen, uh, with more focus. And uh, you know, I've learned so much from her. I think that's one of the most incredible parts of this job is just getting to get inside the minds of these athletes. I think what, what Gwen is doing is so awesome. She could have been chasing wins and triathlon, but instead she's chasing something more personal for herself and taking on something that is a much bigger challenge, I think, for her in the short term with the marathon. So yeah, that's she incredible. She's cool.
1: Awesome. Yeah,
0: she's, she's an amazing athlete.
1: Yeah, she is. I'll have to have her back on when she wins the Olympics
0: <laughs>
1: again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't bet against her. I'm not, would, yeah. a, you know.
1: It's hard, though. Running is hard. So when it's like the only thing you're doing and you're putting all the – the miles in and i don't know and maybe everything is hard and it's just perspective but yeah
0: run definitely beats you up though it's uh you know swimming is like a zero impact sport and running is a just crazy impact sport you know yeah. you're slamming yeah. into the ground
1: totally uh,
0: definitely different stuff
1: well this was so cool i'm so thankful that you were able to take the time to do this so thank you for being on the podcast
0: Oh, Marnie, thank you so much. It's always fun to talk about stuff that we're passionate about and anytime.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode links in the show notes. And of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove one at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.